My name is Ricky Ragone, for those of you guys who don't know. I'm the music and arts and the youth pastor here at King's Chapel. Uh, before we get started, I'm just going to go ahead and dismiss the kids and the teachers and all those involved in Children's Church. You can go ahead and make your way back. While they're go- heading back, if you want, you can turn with me in your Bibles. I'm going to be kind of in a few different passages, so it might be hard to follow, but we'll be in Psalm 147, Ephesians 5, and Colossians 3. I'm going to try and breeze through them because uh, I probably have way too much written for today's sermon, so we're going to see uh, if I can fit it all in. Psalm 147. One, it says 1 to 5, but I'm just, going to, I'm just going to hang on verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Ephesians five, nineteen through twenty one. Really eighteen. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And lastly, in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. And as we learn from it this morning. So we are continuing this week. This is our third week in the series in which we ask every four-year-old's favorite question, why? <laughs> We're going to church today. Why? To worship. Why? You know, you get the point. So we're continuing in that. The Bible talks about having faith like a child, so we're going to ask questions like a child because that is important. We're asking the question in order to explain why it is what we do. Because in, in everything that we're covering in the past two weeks, this week, and next week... Our answer can't just be, we do it because that's what we do. It can't be, we do it because that's what we've always done. That's just not an acceptable answer. So, we are tackling this series by looking at what we do through a biblical framework. So far, the past two weeks, we've covered uh, the ministry of the Word and and, and Scripture-saturated worship, from the teaching to the singing where we have Scripture on the screen with the songs. We'll expand more on, on the centrality of Scripture and singing this morning. We explored the importance of, of being members of the family of God and also being members while we have membership here in the local church as we're called to be accountable to one another as the family of God. And last week we looked at discipleship, being both missional, or monastic and, and missional. It happens here when we gather together as the family of God corporately in our community groups. We're missional. We're going out. It's happening in our neighborhood, schools, workplaces, sharing the gospel, 
Pastor Lou expanded on Matthew 28. Go. Or while you are going, whatever you're doing, you're on the mission field. Make disciples. We're disciples. We should be making disciples. So if you missed any of those sermons, they are available on our website. Uh, You can check those out. There might be some CDs in the back. I don't know. Sometimes they go like hotcakes. So check that out. So this morning, we're asking the simple question, why do we sing corporately? Why do we do that? I mean, every week we gather here as a church and we sing together. We do it. We do it at our breakfasts. We do it at the retreats that we go on. Uh, we do it at our annual meeting. We are gathering together regularly for the, the teaching of the word, and we sing. Why do we do that? What's the point? Is it really, is it really that important that we, sit under, that we sing as much as we sit under the teaching of the word? I hope so. My de- position kind of depends on it. Uh, <laughs> But it is. We see it clearly in the scripture with hundreds of commands to sing. So I hope by the end of our time together, we'll not only just see why, why we sing and that you'll like accept a biblical explanation, but uh, really that it would give you a new depth of understanding and appreciation for singing as the form of worship. And, and as I say that, I want to make an important distinction that this morning's question that we're answering is not, why do we worship? We're talking about singing corporately because worship covers way more than just singing some songs. Worship covers our entire life. All that we do should be of worship to God. We'll see it in a passage I'll go to in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It, all of our life is worship. So if all of our life is worship then corporate worship is only but like a part of that. And within corporate worship, we have the teaching and preaching of the word. We have prayers. We have the giving through the offering. We have the fellowship with one another. And we have singing. So worship is like this all-encompassing thing. Corporate worship is within that. And within corporate worship, we have singing. So this morning, we're talking about singing. Obviously, some of the principles are going to flow over into our overall worship. But I want to make that distinction because some people have in their mindset when I think worship, I'm thinking music. And that's not, it's not bad, but it's just so much more than that. And music's only a piece of the puzzle. It's an important piece. It's like one of those corner pieces that you need. And if you don't have it, you're really frustrated that the puzzle's not done. Um, so it's a, it's a significant piece of the puzzle. So we're not, I'm not asking why do we worship, but I'm asking why, why do we sing corporately? Because believe it or not, For centuries leading up to the Protestant Reformation, singing wasn't a part of congregational worship. There there was a time period when it was, and then it fades away, and it's it's nowhere to be seen. And it wasn't just a matter of, well, we're in between organists right now, so we're not going to have corporate worship. We're just going to stick to the word. No, they didn't didn't do that. (laughs) They didn't stick to the word necessarily either. Um, but it was, it was actually something to be punished by death. Like, it seems like, like that's a harsh way to reconcile, like, singing. You know, like, someone goes up to the, the, the priest, I guess, and says, hey, can we, can we sing some praises this morning? And the priest's like, yeah, sure, we'll sing some praises, and then you'll be martyred like the blaspheming heretic that you are. 
how do we get from one to the other? <laughs> it's crazy. But if any of you guys were a part of the Reformation study we did earlier this year, the, the Monk and the Mallet book, we read about a guy named Jan Hus. Jan Hus was killed in 1415 for a desire to sing congregationally. It's crazy. It, it literally says he was put to death for proposing a Bible translation in Czech, which was the people's language, so he wanted people to be able to read the Bible. He was put to death for that, for congregational singing, and preaching of the Bible. We should be very grateful for we, what we get to do regularly and freely today because of the sacrifice of many reformers who cared about the scriptures and doing it justice and studying it well. But that's not the reason we sing corporately. Just because we could doesn't mean that we should, though I think there's more reason to it than that. This, I mean, I think a really simple answer would be why do we sing corporately? Because the Bible tells us to. That's an easy one. I just read like three passages that don't, that don't even hit it fully. There's a call to sing. The scriptures, that, that's why in the Reformation we see a, a rise of singing because the scriptures, which they're coming back to you, sola scriptura, that's what it was about, said to sing. God clearly exhorts his people to sing to him and to do it with one another. Paul is pretty clear in Ephesians and Colossians that the way when we gather, one of the things we should be doing is teaching and admonishing each other, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We'll expand on that as we continue. So the, the way I want to um, kind of navigate through this, because it's a broad, I could do like five sermons on singing, um, but we got one. So I'm going to do the best I can to really answer that question of why we do it. What's the point? So last, last week, uh, Pastor Lou tossed up on the screen our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by living on mission with him and making disciples through gospel-centered worship, transformation, and community. Then we looked at that. We looked at our mission. That's our mission as a church. If you missed it last week and you forget what is on the screen this week, every week you can see it. Just look at the wall. It's there to remind us of why we're here. So this morning, I wanted to kind of follow that same vein of we have a mission, and this is what we're doing. So with music, I tried to make a, a shorter, succinct one that followed kind of the same structure, and that's how we're going to navigate to answer this question. It's, we gather together to glorify God and build one another up through the singing of gospel-centered music. That's the mission. That's the mission uh, every time... I, I seek to lead worship. That's what I want to do. Glorify God. Let's build one another up, and we'll keep it gospel-centered. It's not complicated, uh, but I think it succinctly hits the mission of corporate singing, and uh, this is how we're going to look at the text. So <clears throat> we'll start with we gather together to glorify God. And as we look at this first point of the outline here, bear with me because I... I do hit a lot of scripture. I try to put it all on the screen so we can follow. Some of them may go fast, because I'm just using it to, to, to help us see the emphasis that God puts on his glory in our worship and our singing. But first, as I mentioned with Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, So whether you eat 
or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you're thinking, hey, that doesn't mention singing, you're correct, it doesn't, but it does say whatever, and singing definitely falls into the whatever category. So whatever we do should be to the glory of God. So our first objective when it comes to singing, singing corporately together, our first objective has nothing to do with us, but all to do with him. It's to glorify God. Paul says in Acts when he's preaching uh, at the, the Areopagus, in him we live and move and have our being. It's all about him. All that we do, our very being is for God and his glory. The, the Westminster Confession, the Catechism, uh, some of you may have heard of it. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or as John Piper says, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The glory of God is of utmost importance in our lives and in our songs. And this is where, this is the speed round where I just give us some psalms. The psalms are riddled with verses that talk about singing and praising God. And it's always God who's the recipient of the praise. Check this out. Psalm 9-2. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Psalm 9-11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Two more here. Psalm 96, 2. Sing to who? Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 147, 1, which we read earlier. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The direction of our singing is to God, for his glory, to make him known among the peoples. It's quite clear. God himself has something to say about his glory. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise praise to carved idols. It's about God's glory. It's about God's praise. So when we come together on Sunday morning, it's really easy to get sidetracked from that. It's really easy to deviate from the first part of it. We gather to glorify God. We can get sidetracked like the dog from Up when he sees a squirrel. That's just how it is. Like we're on point, we're focused, we're focused. Squirrel. Like that's how it is. It's to the glory of God, to the glory of God. Oh no, it's about me now. Just like that. We can miss it. I think I've shared this story before when I was preaching, but it fits now more than ever. When I was in college, I was a Halloween and a group of friends, Katie was there, we went to this church for a worship night, and uh, these, it's like all these teenagers were in this band, and they were, they were getting ready to sing, and 
they started playing, and the song they started playing was Blessed Be Your Name, which at that time was being played like everywhere at every moment, every second. That song was playing. And at that time, that bugged me a lot. And the, 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 the teenagers, I emphasize teenagers again, go to strum, and I notice, there it is, there's that A chord, we're doing blessed be your name, and I verbally, I verbally out loud, like the college curmudgeon I was, I'm like, ah, I don't want to sing this song, not again. And, and the, the girl next to me, she just says, like, pointed. Most people aren't this pointed. It was really good. She's a very pointed person. She just goes, you're missing out on an opportunity to worship God. And so I went from six foot three to three foot six, just like that. <laughs> like, I was missing the point. I got sidetracked from it. I got sidetracked from the glory of God, just worshiping him. And not only the song itself, I was missing the glory of God and the fact that teenagers aren't out getting free candy on Halloween. They're here worshiping. Completely sidetracked. It sticks with me because every time I get in those moments where I'm like, ugh, which it happens a lot because I'm a fairly critical person and that's not a strong suit, I just remember those words echoing in my head. You're missing out on an opportunity to worship God. It's easy to let our purpose slip away from us. Paul Tripp, a pastor down in Philadelphia, has a lot of good stuff to say on the gospel and the glory of God. And in a blog post from last year, he said this. The original design was for human beings to live in a glorious world and exist in perfect relational harmony with a glorious God. But sin corrupted the original design, and now you and I have the desire to live for ourselves. Instead of living for the glory of God, we try to steal that glory for ourselves. We demand to be the center of our world. We take credit for what only God could produce. We want to be sovereign. We want others to worship us. We establish our own kingdom and punish those who break our laws. We tell ourselves that we're entitled to what we don't deserve, and we complain when we don't get whatever it is we want. It's a glory disaster, he says. How true is that? In all of our life, lives, but also when it comes to singing and worshiping. Are we seeking to glorify God when we walk into these doors, when we walk into this building? When we gather together as the church, some of you may remember, uh, it's still, I, I guess it's still alive and well, the, the, the epic, or, I mean, silly worship wars, the, re, the, the battle between hymns and contemporary music, and both sides are masking it behind, well, this actually glorifies God more, but really it's just a personal battle to get your way. That's what it is. And it gets wrapped up in the love for preference and what people enjoy personally. Those are, that's, that's the worship war. And what happens, what seems to actually slip between the cracks in that battle is that God receives all styles of music that are written for his glory as a praise, as, as a, a pleasing aroma to him. I was at a church that, 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 that struggled with that. And when I, when I came home from school, this is post-curmudgeon phase, 
Um, when I came home from school, I, I, was in, I was in charge of the band there. And I didn't have, I didn't have a, a whole lot to work with as far as musicians, but I had like five or six teenagers and a couple adults. And I was able to use an opportunity at a band practice to just, we, you know, we're not going to play anything. Let's go in the classroom. We had the dry erase board. I drew the line down the middle. Hymns, contemporary, list pros and cons. And I let them do it. And they listed them, they listed them. And I was like, what do they have in common? And both sides had, they glorify God. There it is. It doesn't matter if it's an organ, if it's a piano, if it's an electric guitar, if it's drums. It's for the glory of God. And I had the opportunity to share that with, with younger people so they could get that before they got too much wrapped up in the battle. That's got to be our starting point. Not our preference. Not what do I want to sing today? I have to fight against that when I'm picking a set. What do I really want to sing? doesn't matter what I want to sing. What's going to glorify God and come alongside the scriptures and help us to do that the best? It starts with his glory. So that's part one. We gather to glorify God. And to build one another up. And here's where we are, Colossians three sixteen to 17. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we gather together to sing to the praise and glory of God and for the purpose of building one another up. Now I think it's, it's easy to just look and go, I can see how music can, can glorify God, but how can music help us to, to really build one another up? I think there's a few things. I'm just going to hit three. Here are a few ways that songs can help to build us up as a family. And the first thing is that songs teach. Songs teach. Paul's exhorting the Colossians in this passage to let the word of God dwell in them richly. And he tells them to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He doesn't separate out teaching pause, and also sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He's saying, teach one another, admonish one another, singing. He's, he's saying, using songs, teach and admonish one another. He doesn't separate the two. They work together. Because back in Paul's day, they didn't have this. They didn't have, all, at this point, Paul hadn't written some of these letters yet. He, they didn't have it. They didn't, they didn't, they, the Old Testament scriptures, they had in the, the temple, they had the law. The rabbis taught it, but people didn't have it in their hands. They didn't have the words of Jesus written, sometimes in red. They didn't have that. So how are they going to learn? And how are they going to, everything was passed down orally. And imagine committing uh, all those, all those uh, doctrinal things, all those truths of the gospel Imagine trying to commit those to memory back then where, where you didn't have it for you. You just had to try to memorize it. No, it was passed on orally. So how'd they do it? With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They would sing it. 
Would any of us know the alphabet if not for that song? (laughs) To this day, sometimes you just got to sing it to get to the letter you need. (laughs) Songs help us to learn. Songs teach. They help us to remember. That's why Paul is exhorting them to teach and admonish one another, which would be funny to admonish someone in song because that's like kind of a rebuke. So I don't know what that song looks like, but it would be, it would be fairly funny. Um, but teach with, with songs. Songs are little sermonettes with melodies, if you think about it. Good ones. You want a sermon about the grace of God? And, and the grace of God reaching out and redeeming lost sinners? We got in tenderness. You want a song that, that teaches you how to live in the comfort of God's peace in the midst of hard trial and suffering, we got it as well with my soul. If you want a lesson and just what it is to celebrate the gospel, rejoice in that to the glory of God, we just sang it forever. Or, oh, praise the name. We have these songs that can instill in us and teach us these things. However, songs don't only teach good things. Unfortunately, just as there's good teaching and bad teaching from behind the pulpit, there's good teaching and bad teaching that's up on the screen or in a hymnal. It happens. Hopefully not our screen. I try to pretty hard to make sure that happens. doesn't happen. Um, but most of the time, you get some bad teaching in a song, and it's not like the whole song is just like written as one big heresy, like, oh God, my works, they earn my salvation. Like that, we don't sing like that straight up. But it's usually like a line or two. Pastor Lou hit it last week in a song where it just had this one line that just takes and derails the whole thing. These little, these little pieces. And we can just look over and we go, well, it's just a piece of the song, the rest of it. 98% of it's good. But when I get a song stuck in my head, I don't get 98% of it. Well, sometimes I do if I try to sing along and realize I don't know the words. But it's not like I can just not have the rest of that song influence my mind. There's small parts that have bad teaching that just aren't, they're not going to help build one another up. They're going to be false teaching. If someone did it from the pulpit, we'd go, false teacher, bad. It doesn't change just because there's a guitar behind it. False teaching and bad teaching is still bad teaching. I got enough going around in this abyss of my mind. I don't need bad teaching just swirling around in there. Because songs are memorable. I was, I was trying to think of an order of the book of the book of the Bible, and I was frustrated because I wasn't a kid to, well, I was a kid, but I wasn't a kid in the church to learn the Bible, the books of the Bible song. So I can't like go to that as a reference for something. But that, those songs are memorable. So we need to remember and reflect and have good teaching, solid teaching that helps build us up, helps instill the truth of Scripture in us. Good songs take the truth of Scripture and teach them to us in a way we can remember them and bring them back to our memory over and over again. Songs teach, and being taught the truth of Scripture helps to build us up. Songs should also encourage and challenge us they teach us and they encourage and challenge us i think of the song oh god that we sing here sometimes we haven't sang it probably in a little while but it takes the truth of romans 8 
and, and truth of the Psalms, and, and it puts it into this song that provides an encouragement in the midst of highs and lows, that, that God is with us. His, his love's not going to fail in, in height nor depth nor anything else. Nothing can take us from, away from the love of God. That's an encouragement. And that song just puts it to a melody that can get stuck in your head. It's encouraging. Music has a way of communicating sometimes that words alone just can't do. But the content is important. We don't want encouragement without truth. Like we could just like sing a song that's, you know, we did the series last year, last year, uh, did God really say that? We can have encouragement without truth. We could just sing all those things that we debunked. God won't give you more than you can handle. Whoa! It's encouragement, but it's rooted in nothing. It's not truth. We need encouragement with truth. The songs we sing together should connect the head, teaching, and the heart, applying it. Songs can be an encouragement. Songs should also challenge us. A gospel-centered song like Cling to Christ, it challenges us in our motives Challenging our pride, our tendency to, to go astray, to forget the truth that God's sovereign, loving hands are holding us. Actually, that song hits encouragement and challenge. The first part of the verse, it challenges us with, with our sin, with our pride, well, everything I just listed, but then it gives us encouragement. But God loves us in this way. But God does this to encourage us. How the gospel speaks, speaks to, to cover those failures. Challenge, encouragement. Paul exhorts the Colossians to sing with each other psalms, hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in order to teach one another, to encourage one another, to challenge one another. When saying corporately, songs should also unify. That's the third thing, unify. Songs teach, songs encourage and challenge, and songs should unify. Paul's talking to a group. He says one another. That's a corporate thing. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish yourselves by listening to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with headphones on. Could you imagine that? We all have our own little special songs playing to us as we gather together. It would be a mess. It would be not helpful at all. It wouldn't unify us. It wouldn't build us up. There's a corporate nature about singing. It's something to be done together. The teaching and preaching of the word, the singing of God's praises are meant to, to bring us together under the truth of scripture, under the gospel, not divide us. And the songs we sing together corporately should work to that end. So, Because there, there are songs written out there with lyrics that, that, that aren't bad lyrics, but they're not conducive to a corporate gathering. They're, they're, they're very specific. They're like great for personal devotion and meditation. But corporately, it would, would be bizarre to sing them. I don't have an example, but you can, if you just listen, you can see, oh yeah, this would make more sense if I'm by myself reading, reading scripture, meditating. But that would be really weird to sing with people. Like, like songs where it talks about being alone with God. It's weird to sing about being alone with God in a room full of people. And I'm guilty of it. We, we sing the song, Only You, and the end of it goes, and it's just you and me here now. False. 
I'm up here leading it, and one day I was just thinking, ah, there's a lot of us here now. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense musically. The song's great, but when we think about it, corporate, it's corporate in nature. Now, granted, some of the songs say I instead of us. So it just flows better, but it's, this should unify us to the glory of God and for the gospel. And then like the music itself, not necessarily just the, the lyrics, but, but music, the diversity in music also can unify us. Now, not all the time. Like if I propose, let's sing How Great Thou Art, but I'm, how great thou art, but I'm gonna do it in death metal, that wouldn't work. The only thing that would unify is you guys against me. <laughs> like you had one job, you're out of here. Death metal. But, but I do think of the diversity in the music that we sing. Last week we sang Grace Alone. That song's upbeat, it's rocking, we're electric, we're celebrating the grace of God. It's loud. But we could also sing Immortal Invisible, which is very acoustic, very somber, very low-key, completely different. You wouldn't put them on the same album. You wouldn't think they would be, but they work together. The styles, we, we can't just sing all grace alone, and we can't just sing all immortal invisible. We can't just sing all songs like, like oceans. We can't sing all wordy hymns like here is love vest as the ocean. The, the blend of the different styles and the, and the different word phrasing and all that comes together to actually unify. Isn't that a picture of the church? A bunch of different people with different personalities and giftings and backgrounds coming together to the worship of God? It's how it is musically. It's why you see a wide range here. I really feel like that's important. We should have the freedom to be able to get a little loud, but we gotta be able to bring it down, to bring, bring it all together. Why? Again, not my preference. I mean, that is my preference, but it's rooted in the glory of God. I, that, that's why I wanna do it. We gather together to, to glorify God, to build one another up. And we achieve the building one another up through songs that teach, encourage, challenge, and unify. And the glue that brings all that together is the gospel. It's the gospel. We gather together to glorify God and build one another up through singing gospel-centered music. Gospel-centered. Um, so I want to show you guys so far through 2017, here's the songs the top 10 songs we've done just by purely the amount that it's been done. And this is the list. Not a bad list. I like the list. Six out of 10 of them are like explicitly gospel-centered. Like you see that and you're like, that's on the gospel. And, and, and honestly, if, if you really looked at the songs, like if I just intently like actually took the time to examine the lyrics a lot, I bet you we'd be at a 9 or a 10 out of 10 with the gospel being central to do that. Now, why, why, do, I, why do I put that up there? Because I think that's important. I think that should be a marker of uh, if King's Chapel is saying that our mission is to glorify God by living with him on mission through gospel-centered worship transformation and community, then the songs we sing as worship should be gospel-centered. That doesn't mean every single song sings of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but every single set of music, if it doesn't have Jesus mentioned, and there's no redemption, and there's no salvation, 
I failed my job. I haven't pointed people to Jesus. I've just created some kind of emotional environment. It's got to be centered on the gospel. As I was looking at the total list, again, this is just like the 10, the total list, I think there was 87 songs we've done in 2017. 47, that's more than half, are clearly centered on the gospel. Without, without, I didn't have to look them up. I'm like, gospel, gospel, gospel. Because the gospel is the focal point of the scripture. It's the focal point of the story of redemption. Jesus is at the center. So Jesus needs to be the center of what we sing and, and all that we do. First Corinthians 9, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessings. If our songs teach, let them teach the gospel. If our songs encourage, that encouragement should come from the gospel. If songs challenge us and convict us, that should be motivated by the gospel. If our songs are truly going to unify us, it needs to be around the gospel. If the gospel is supposed to be central to all we do, our songs are not outside of that. Singing the gospel helps us preach the truth of adoptions as son and daughters to ourselves. Singing the gospel reminds us that we're no longer slaves to fear and guilt, but through Christ, that that bondage to sin and shame has been broken because he took it on the cross. We sing the gospel to help impress those truths on our hearts, our identity in who we are in Christ. Songs do that. God uses songs as a means for his people in remembering in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31. I don't have time to hit the entire passage, but here's the start of it. God tells Moses, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. Now it's not that he's against the people of Israel, but what Later on in the passage, what he, what he says is, remind them that I'm the one who led them out of Egypt, that, that I led them into the, to the land that's flowing of milk and honey. Remind them of all that I did, because inevitably they're going to turn. Like the dog. They're going to turn, and they're going to go to their idols. Use this song. Teach them this song as a way to remember what I did. So it's not that he's against Israel, but when, when they turn against me, use this song against them so they come back. That's why the gospel needs to be at the center of our worship. So that it can be a reminder of how good God is when we turn away from him and run to idols. The gospel refocuses us on all that Christ did. How we're loved, how we're cherished, how we're valued. So much that he came and gave himself for us as a ransom. Or if we get too puffed up in our own self-righteousness, the gospel reminds us that our salvation has nothing to do with what we've done. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Keeping our songs gospel-centered doesn't only build us up. It doesn't only help us grow, but it's also evangelistic. People come in who don't know Christ, who, who, who don't believe in Christ, who don't have any knowledge of what the gospel means, the songs can tell that story. It's evangelistic in nature. Uh, That's why I love songs like All I Have is Christ. It's written in a very testimony format, 
Verse 1, this is where I was before Christ. Verse 2, Christ came and redeemed. Verse 3, new identity in Christ. That's how the song tells. It tells the gospel. It shows the change in the heart. It's edifying for the family. It's also evangelistic to those who don't know the truth of the gospel. If our songs are gospel-saturated, then they're going to fulfill the music mission. They're going to glorify God because God receives all glory in our salvation. They're going to build us up because the gospel is what not only saves us, but also through the work of the Spirit makes us look more and more like Jesus. If we forget the gospel, we sing all about ourselves and what we're doing and what we're offering, but we forget who we're offering it to and what God has done, what God has offered on our behalf in Christ. We end up missing our first part of the mission if we fail to keep Christ at the center. Because if the gospel's not there and God's not glorified, we're not building one another up. We're just puffing ourselves up. There's a difference. And the last thing about gospel center that I want to hit is that God-glorifying gospel center worship is what we see in John's vision of the throne room of God in Revelation 4 and 5. You've probably seen these on the screen a lot during our time of singing. But in Revelation 4, we have glory. Revelation 4, 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. Glory. But Revelation 5, we move into glory and gospel. 5, verse 9, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Moving down to verse 12. Again, glory and gospel. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and Glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Glory. Gospel. They go together. So to answer the question, why do we sing together corporately? The the answer has to be much more than because that's what we do. We do it to see God glorified to help us grow and to refocus and to keep the gospel at the center. If our aim when we sing is to glorify God and keep the gospel at the center, we're going to grow. We're going to be taught. We're going to be encouraged. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be unified. What also unifies us when we come to gather together is not just the songs, but another part of our worship, and that's taking communion together as a family. We take the Lord's Supper regularly. Why? The gospel. To, to, to meditate and to remember the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. 
So we not only sing together, but we take of the Lord's Supper together. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us because of our sin, because of our shame. He went to the cross, was beaten and bloodied and hung for our sin to take that. The body broken, that's the bread. The cup is Jesus' blood that was shed. It's a new covenant. We take and we eat and we drink to remember all that has been done for us in the gospel. That's what this table does. Just as our songs are to do. This table is for anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, our prayer is that you would. That you'd see his goodness. That you'd see salvation in Christ and you'd come to repent and believe in him. But if you haven't done that, Again, the table's for those who put their faith and trust in Christ for the family of God. We just ask you wouldn't take of the table, but that you'd, you'd sit, that you'd, you'd meditate on the truth of the scripture that's been taught, on the song that's being sung, that's going to point to the gospel as we sing in Christ alone. And I pray that, that the Spirit would be at work in your heart. Matt Redman, as I close here, said said it well in his, his really famous song, uh, Heart of Worship. He says, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, Jesus. Take this time. Before we sing this next song, take some time to reflect what's getting, what's getting in the way of your worship, whether it be songs or otherwise. We're talking about songs, but we know there's stuff that gets in the way of our worship in, in our lives. What is getting in the way? What is sidetracking you? What is taking your attention from the glory of God? What's taking your attention from turning upward to God and turning inward at yourself? What, what idols are getting in the way? Confess, repent, and come to the table and celebrate what Christ has done. That you've been forgiven, you've been redeemed, you've been made new. And then we'll sing in celebration together. Let's pray. Father, our songs, our offerings of worship are meaningless if they're not out of grateful hearts for all that you've done. If they're not centered on your glory and your gospel. We thank you for all that you've done for us, not leaving us to our own sinful devices, but sending Christ as our perfect and spotless atonement lamb to bear the weight of our sin on the cross to the point of death. Not death in defeat, but death in victory because we know the grave is empty. Christ is ruling and reigning today. Because of that, we know we can have assurance of life in him if we trust and believe. So help us to get out of the way when it comes to your worship, when it comes to singing your praises. Spirit, we ask that you'd keep our, our hearts and our minds focused on bringing honor and glory to the one in whom we have breathe and have our being. Keep us fixated on the grace and the goodness that comes from the gospel and knowing Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.